Well, I'm happy for us to gather once again as the Christ Journey family, not only locally, but globally, and wherever you're making your connection with us, church online, whatever nation, whatever situation in life, we are celebrating a God who is big and who is whose heart is big for you. So shout out to Kindle Campus, Gables Campus, whatever is going on in your life, may you experience the bigness of God's love today. Um, and thanks to Pastor Matt, what a great job he did this last week and in his teaching and what a comfort it is to me to know that we have a deep bench, amen? Uh, so little Billy got crayons in hand, first grade, drawing a picture and teacher, looks and says, what are you drawing, Billy? Billy says, God. Teacher says, well, no one knows what God looks like. Billy says, they will when I get done. <laughs> right. Week two, message series, foundation, something you can believe in, and our subject today is God. What is God like? And here's my question. If the crayons were, your, were in your hands, what would you be drawing? Is God an angry judge? Is he emotionally aloof and distant? Is God more a mysterious, elusive? Or maybe a higher power? Or the force, you know, may the force be with you. Or, uh, you know, to, to the agnostic, God is ineffable, just unknowable. If the crayon were in your hand and the question was, what does God look like? What would you be drawing? To an atheist, you know, there's, I guess it's a blank page. But to me, I gotta tell you, I have drawn those kinds of images of God, angry judge, emotionally aloof, distant. If the crayons today, I would be drawing differently. A caring, loving father has always been able to draw that picture. A personal, powerful friend what would you draw? A healer, redeemer, a reconciler, a protector? What would it look like? Well, today I'm gonna to do a dangerous thing. I am gonna take crayons in hand and I'm gonna to try to zip through like five quick truths that characterize my understanding of what God is like according to scripture and, um, and start by saying this. Did you know the Bible does not try to prove the existence of God? Not on the front end anyway. It does not start there. God's existence is assumed as a self-evident truth. Have you ever heard of that concept? A self-evident truth. So you open up the Bible, first page, first chapter, first verse, and it says, in the beginning, God. Self-evident. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, over in the New Testament, it says this, if anyone would come to God, he must believe that God is and is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. In other words, that God is and responds to human faith is like a self-evident truth. So the first thing that I would be drawing with my crayons is this, God is assumed, God is real. God is real. But that doesn't mean that there are not proofs for the existence of God simply that the Bible doesn't start there. Somehow, uh, the, similar to how a scientist assumes the orderliness of the universe and then seeks to prove a hypothesis based on that assumption, so also a th the theologian will assume the, per the, the existence of a personal God who then gives life, unity, wholeness, and hope. 
Not that there aren't proofs, but what does all of that mean? Simply this, you can know God because God is real. That's the assumption. And then this is what scripture teaches. He wants to be known. So God is real and God is self-disclosing. God makes himself known. God wants to be known. In a human relationship, you and I cannot really know one another with understanding if we don't let each other in to who we are, right? So Lisa and I have been together a long time, but I'm telling you, I know her a lot better now than I did when we first met. Why? Because she has been making herself known to me. You know what I mean? And I've been paying attention. Well, likewise, this is what the Bible says God does. If you want to know God, it's going to be dependent upon God making himself known and then us paying attention. And actually, that's what the Bible claims to be, a record, those who wrote, writing down a record of God's self-disclosure over time through his actions and his words. Just as you are known by what you do and what you say, so also God is made known by what he does and what he says. So here's the baseline. You can know God because God is real. You can know God because God discloses himself. And number three, you can know God as personal. Person, God is personal. The Bible reveals a God who is personal. You are made in the image of a personal God. This is the claim of scripture. Martin Luther King Jr., this was foundation in his pastoring, that human beings are made in the image of the living God. And we celebrate the diversity and value of each individual because of that. This is where he got that. Human beings are persons made in the image of a personal God. You are a free moral agent made in the image of a personal God. This is different from pantheism, which informs the thinking of Hinduism and Buddhism. The that reality is impersonal. Now, the, the writers of scripture say, no, 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 God is personal, and the reason there are persons that are in the world, over the world, is because so is God, and we are made in God's image. Fourth thing you're gonna discover is that God, excuse me, God as true one. God as true one. God is revealed as one. Now, this is very unique in biblical history, in history itself. Polytheism has been the practice of religion worldwide, and in the ancient Near East, it was very prevalent, and yet there God was revealed over time through from Abraham forward as one, the one prime existent. Now, you philosophy types, you know what a prime existent is. That means it is the only self-existent being. This is the scripture's claim as God discloses himself as the one prime existent, self-existent for all of reality. And then the source of all of reality. And then number five, you'll experience God as community. As you get to know God, you will know God as community. God revealed as three in one. God is not only person and God is not only one, but God is person as three in one, a unity of complexity. Some of you are thinking, I know somebody like that, a unity of complexity. Well, God essentially is that three persons of the tri-unity. They are not three gods. They are not three modes of God. They are three persons co-eternally, co-exist, co-equally one God. And so this is how our faith statement says it. I believe the God of the Bible is the one true God, Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. Now, more about that in a minute, but let's just pause for a moment and see. Does anybody need to kind of take a mental breather? This is heavy, right? I mean, let's jump. Got my crayons. We jump into the deep end of the pool. But these are exactly the claims of Scripture and that have been true to my experience. God is real. And so here's the thing. Though it may be simple to say this, God is real. God is personal. God can be known. And God is one. And God is one in community. It's a simple thing to say that. But God is not simplistic. So... We can try to make deep theology simple. We can try to take a God for dummies approach. But no sooner than we get our crayons out and are working on the page, we discover God is so big that we're already out of paper. We're off the page. And that's where the revelation invites us to imagine as well. The image of God in you, imagine this, through prophet Isaiah, inspired to write these words, God measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. This is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. To imagine the magnitude of God's majesty, with the breadth of a hand, he marked off the heavens. He held the dust of the earth in a basket. He weighed the mountains on a scale and the, uh, the hills in a balance. Now consider that for a moment. That God measures the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand, that's the image. Now, Earth's surface is 71% water. Five ocean systems, the frigid Arctic, the churning Atlantic, the calm Pacific, the Indian, the southern Antarctic, that is 97% of the Earth's water held in those ocean systems at an average depth of 12,000 feet, some 332 million cubic miles. One cubic mile is over 1.1 trillion gallons of water. And here's what Isaiah says. God holds that all in that little hollow place in the palm of his hand. Now, okay, we know this is anthropomorphic language, right? That means God doesn't have human hands. But what Isaiah is trying to put in our understanding is God is so big. He is so big. And then it gets bigger. He says, astronomer, he says, with the breadth of his hand, he's marked off the heavens. Astronomers say the observable universe is 93 billion light years in size. The whole universe is at least 250 times bigger than that. And here's what Isaiah says God told him, that that's like the distance between God's thumb and God's pinky. Now the human eye sees about 5,000 stars in the night sky. You ever wonder how many stars you can see? Away from city lights, scientists say you will see about 5,000 stars in the night sky. About 9,000 can be seen across the entire sky, both hemispheres. Scientists say there are 1 billion trillion stars in the observable universe, and yet Isaiah in chapter 40 says God told him that not only did God create them, but he knows the stars and he names the stars. That's the claim from the prophet, big God. And that he has held the dust of the earth in a basket. Have you ever, after sweeping up the dirt in your kitchen on a dustpan, you kind of tap it on the, you know, the trash can? Make sure you get all of it out. That's what Isaiah says, God does that with, the density of the earth's mass. Earth is the densest planet in our solar system. I'm not talking about our mental capacity. <laughs> I'm 
talking about it weighs in at almost six sextillion metric tons. Want to know how many that is? I had a, a math professor confirm this for me in between uh, our experiences today. That is one billion trillion times six. Does that help? And his scientists say this, we're gaining weight. Must be because of the holidays, right? And yet here's what the prophet says. God kind of taps all that as if it were dust in a pan. God is big, big, big. The mountains, he says, he holds the mountains on a scale. Now there are at least 109 mountain ranges with elevation on earth of greater than 23,000 feet. The highest peak is Everest, over 29,000, and then K2, 28,251 feet. But what Isaiah is saying, you take all the tallest peaks from all the seven continents, and you know how, how, how God treats them like a jeweler on a scale. They're just these little tiny ruby diamond jewels. God is so big. God is transcendent. God is infinitely bigger than we are. And yet here's the irony. This will blow your mind. You can know God. You were made for God. You're wired, made in the image of God, that you could know God. God wants to be known. God is real. He wants to make himself known to you, and you can know God as Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, science tells us the earth, this is not science fiction, this is science fact, according to what they have seen and proven, the, the only astronomical object known to harbor life. The only one. The only one. And yet the Bible teaches that across all of the 6,000 years of recorded human history, we know there's a lot more history to it, but recorded history, since people have been writing things down from the Sumerian age, the Sumerian culture, that God has been making himself known so that people can respond. How? How? God is so big. How can you know God? Really? This is the agnostic's case. How can anybody know God? And yet the writers and the experience of faith in scripture says in a relationship, and this is what we see illustrated in the Trinity. When the angel Gabriel came to the Virgin Mary, what did the angel say? The Holy Spirit will come upon you the power of the Most High, that's the Father, will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. There's Spirit, Father, Son. Three yet one. At Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist, just we've witnessed a baptism today. When Jesus was baptized, he says he saw the Spirit descend like a dove and then a voice was heard, the voice of the Father, saying, this is my Son whom I love. Father, Son, Spirit. The Great Commission as Jesus is ascending or preparing to ascend in Matthew chapter 28. He tells the disciples, he tells uh, people like us, now you go and you make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, three persons. If you want to know more about Jesus unpacking that in depth, it's John chapter 14, 15, and 16. That might be a place to turn if you'd like to study further. But Paul picks this up and writes in his letters about it. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, 
that's our Father, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you all. So the Trinity, though it is a profound mystery, through it we understand that God exists in relationship, a community of oneness, and we also understand that each person of the triune one, summarize this real quickly, is known through a special role that they fulfill. God the Father acts as creator and sustainer of all things. God the Son acts as redeemer and reconciler of all things. And God the Spirit is indweller and sanctifier of human beings. So as Father, God is over us. As Son, God is with us. Remember Emmanuel, God with us. And as Spirit, God is in us. In other words, God's got you covered. He is transcendent, he is imminent, and he is intimate all at once. And the Trinity is trying to help us understand that. By the way, this, the Holy Spirit is not an it. Jesus said, the Spirit is his own Spirit. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So the Holy Spirit is the person of God in Christ, present in a spiritual way when we open our hearts to him. So how are we to understand the Trinity? I remember getting into arguments about this when I was younger, uh, head arguments about it. But one illustration that helps me out on this is like the Holy Spirit is like H2O. You know, H2O can be solid, liquid, or gas. It can be ice, water, or steam. Three expressions, one essence, it's all H2O. Or the other one I heard was relational. You know, I'm a parent, I'm a child, and I'm a self. So likewise, Father, Son, and Spirit represented. Now, each of these break down at some point, but they just help. My favorite is this. God the Father is like honey in the flower. God the Son is like honey in the comb. And God the Spirit is honey in my mouth. <laughs> Taste and see the Lord is good. God wants to be good to you. The point is, the Trinity tells us God can be experienced. That's what this teaching means. God can be experienced as in a God who is for us. We sang about that. Well, God over us is for us in that he creates the world and then he gives it to you and he gives you life and he gives you wonder and he gives you mystery and he gives you opportunity for life. That's God's father gift to you. And God the Son is with us, but he is for us as one with us by modeling for us what the potentials of humanity can be. And then by offering himself as a holy sacrifice of justice by dying in our place and then rising from the dead that his life might come alive in our life by the Spirit. God the Spirit is in us, but for us by being in us, by giving joy and peace and love and meaning and connection and this deep assurance. We don't think ourselves into some kind of purpose and meaning in life. Purpose and meaning comes as God's gift by the Spirit to those who trust the Son and meet the Father and go, whoa, God is really for me. This is exactly true. That's what makes it good news. And that's why we say foundational truth number two, I believe the God of the Bible is the one true God. 
Father, Son, and Spirit. But this is more than simply head knowledge. Head knowledge says this, oh, I believe there's a God. Just like you could say, I believe there's an Abraham Lincoln, right? It's another thing, it's one thing to say, I believe there's an Abraham Lincoln. It's another thing to say, and I know him. You know, I got a relationship with him. And it's another thing to say, and he set me free. Okay, and what the Bible writers are saying is, you can not only, you can, it's not just a head knowledge thing, you can know the eternal living God, not just know about him, you can know him, and you can be in relationship with him, and that relationship will liberate you. That's what makes it good news in ways that are fulfilling beyond explanation. So Peter, the fisherman that followed him, he's writing his letter to people like us, and he says, you know what? It's like joy unspeakable. I don't know how to put it into words, is what he's saying. I'm all happy, I feel joyful, but I don't know how to explain it. Paul's writing from a prison cell, a letter to some people in Philippi, and he says, you know what? I have peace that just passes my understanding and otherwise it's blowing my mind. I, I can't fully explain it, but it's calming me, it's holding me. So this experience, it's beyond explaining, but ready for experiencing. We experience God the Father through Jesus Christ, our mediator, by his Holy Spirit that comes alive in us which is why the scripture says, taste and see the Lord is good. The Holy Spirit within us introduces us to the Father through the Son. And these three expressions are constantly working as one in the sense that the Father is revelation, the Father's revealing truth, and the Son is incarnation of that truth, and the Holy Spirit's job is illumination. Jesus said he's gonna lead you into all truth. Those of you that are Christ followers, the New Testament says that your body, your, your image of God self was designed so that you could know God personally and intimately. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit where God will live. You are wired to know him. And when the Holy Spirit, when we receive the forgiveness of God's, uh, of God's son, for our sins and his life comes alive in us by his spirit. You know the first thing the spirit tries to do inside you? Turn on the lights. When you get home, what do you do? You know, the Holy Spirit's job is to turn on the lights so you can see things more clearly. You can see what you have. You can see where you're going. He said the Holy Spirit's job is to help you see more clearly so that you can know God more intimately with every passing day in every situation of life. And then what you will learn as you grow to know God in this way is that central to all of the Godness expression is Jesus Christ which is why Paul writes this. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. In other words, if you wanna gain access to the Father, you go through him because he reveals God personally in ways that we can understand. So that's why we've turned the triangle so that the incarnation is our access point for you and me to come to know God. And he introduces us to the Father who is loving and to the Spirit who is indwelling and filling us with his presence. And so if you, and then he reveals God personally in ways that we can relate to. And then he remakes us in the image 
of his son, our truest selves. Now, how does that work? I don't know. I don't know. I cannot explain that. I can't explain how, but I can tell you what the Bible writer says is they tell you when it happens. Not always how, but they say, but here's when it happens. It happens when you put Jesus Christ first in your life. You seek him first and his kingdom first. Let Jesus be your king, in other words, and, and then he will introduce you to the kingdom. He'll let you in on all of these potentialities of your experience of the true and living God. God does his best work when we give him rightful place on the throne of our hearts. So Jesus said it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that he would make things right and then all these things will be given to you. So when Christ is in his rightful place, this is what I take from that, then all else flows well from there. In other words, Jesus Christ is the access road to eternal quality of life. Jesus Christ is the hot spot. You know, if you're trying to see where you're getting your bars of power that'll light you up, Jesus Christ is the hot spot if you're wanting eternal light. Jesus Christ is the master key that will unlock the meaning of your fulfilled potential in life. Jesus Christ is the portal through which we pass into purpose in life. These are what the writers claim. This is what I've experienced. You know how on your digital device that your, your cord is made to, enter, to intersect the, uh, the outlet, the feed line in only one way? You know, it doesn't go any other way. You have to turn it this way and then it goes in. What the scripture says is so also in the spiritual life. Jesus Christ is the perfect fit to your heart, but only when he is inserted over all. First, over all. Seek first the kingdom, and then the access points are open to you. Now, one of the reasons that I did not seek God first in my life for many years is because I thought he's going to start taking stuff away from me. I was going to lose capacity, Right? And here's what the scripture teaches and what my experience has been. When you put him first, you're not losing capacity. You are connecting to it. And suddenly the access points are open in ways that you had not seen before, which explains why Professor C.S. Lewis from Oxford University said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because I see everything else by it. That's the promise. Other things in life become clearer internally, externally. It's not like all the problems go away, but you start seeing things. Jesus said, all these things will be given to you when you seek first the kingdom of heaven. How do I seek first the kingdom? Get to know the king. Let the king be king in your life. And that's why the ultimate non-negotiable in Christian faith is the statement, Jesus Christ is Lord. In the New Testament, the earliest creedal statement, Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Because through Jesus Christ, the almighty God has made himself known, has shown himself personal, is bringing all things together in redemption and creation and now recreation and restoration. And that can come alive inside of you so that released from sin and now being um, 
reconciled from its destruction, redeeming us from its destruction, your potential is being restored into the, not just the original image, but the image of God in Christ through you and in a way that you can taste and you can see that the Lord is good. Or the way I was taught by my seminary professor, all good theology leads to doxology. That means when you really got hold of the real God and the real truth, then you just go, whoa, awesome God. This is great. I praise you. I thank you. I, you know, I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. It's like you taste and see, and I got to have, is there more of that? I want some more of that. To know God truly is to love him and to have reason to praise him and then want to share him with others. I do not know what your picture of God looks like today, but I guarantee you we've all got one and you've had your crayons and you're drawing it and it's affecting how much you know him and how much you experience his love. Maybe for you, you're thinking, no, you know, God is just so big and distant and aloof. And so you've drawn him out of your picture May I introduce you to the God who knows you and loves you and who wants from the inside out to bring life and joy and peace to you. Maybe for you, what's big in your life right now are all these problems, you know? It's like, oh man, I got this, I got that, I gotta do this, it's gonna be so hard. And it's like, God is just this little thing over here and your God is just too small. May I introduce you to the God who can span the cosmos with the distance of his thumb and pinky for whom nothing is impossible, including whatever's tangling you up right now. God is big enough to handle it. May I, may I reintroduce you to the resurrected Christ who loves you and who wants to come and live in you and then see you through that challenge. Maybe for you, you've been a faithful disciple and you've been bearing your cross and walking the distance, but it seemed like it's been long and dry for a while. Can I just encourage you with me to re-up today and to say, you know, I'm gonna renew my conversation with the living God in Christ who is bigger and who is present and who will not only reign over me, but is present in me and will stand with me as I make the distance. Or maybe for you, you know about religion, but this whole relationship thing is a new thought. How does that happen? Well, when you turn your heart to God in faith, he's already paying attention. And when you say, Lord, be God in my life, be God, then what you will discover is he has done everything already to remove what is separating the two of you in terms of sin that that's why Jesus died on the cross, was to pay the penalty of our rebellion, of our sin, of our breaking of his heart, breaking of his laws and going astray, that in Jesus Christ, he has paid the penalty. And that when he rose from the dead, the life is present and ready to respond. So when you say, Lord, will you be my God? Like Simon, I mean, Thomas said, my Lord and my God, then forgiveness and freedom and healing flowed. And you can do that right now as we pray. Would you bow with me?
Gracious, almighty God, thank you for your kindness toward us. Thank you for the mystery and majesty of life, for the wonder of it all. But right now we, we turn our hearts toward you to remember how big you are, how present you are, and how available you are. And for those that are here today who are beginning that relationship, Lord, we pray that you would hear us in this prayer. And this is the prayer you can pray. Jesus Christ, I open my heart to you. Be my God. Forgive my sin, fill my soul. I receive the gift of salvation in you. And lead me that I might know you better. Now our heads still bowed just for a moment. But if you prayed that prayer and would let me ask God's blessing upon your step of faith, then I'm gonna ask you while our heads are bowed just to raise your hand and hold it up wherever you're seated. If you're joining us online, there's an orange banner. You can click on that and our, our ministry is praying for you as you do that. God bless you, thank you. Toward the back on my right, toward the middle. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Right down here in the front, toward the middle. God bless you. Anyone else? We're not gonna linger long. To my left, God bless you. Anyone else? Now pray with me for them. Lord, for, for each of these men and women who by uplifted hand have signified an open heart and, and asked our blessing today, we pray that they would feel your peace, know your joy and the presence of your life as by faith they have received you as savior. And now we pray you would lead them as Lord. We love you, we put you first, and we humble ourselves before you. In your name we pray. Now today, before we close our prayer time, as I was preparing this talk, I felt like God was inviting me to invite you to find our knees together, if you would like to, as we begin this brand new year. If you wanna join me in prayer on your knees, I would invite you just to do that now. And the prayer that I would like for us to pray together is how Jesus taught us when he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.